Well, good morning. So glad you're here this morning. Um, like I said, it's hard. It was hard moving the clocks forward last night, knowing I was going to get even an hour less of sleep than I usually do. So forgive me. I only had pro- I had probably about four hours of sleep last night. So it's okay. We'll be all right. I woke up in the morning. I kept waking up, thinking it's time to get up, but obviously it wasn't. So it's okay. If you get your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah. Thank you. And we are in the 46th chapter. You know, one night I had a dream. I was walking on the beach, and I was walking with Christ. And across the dark sky, scenes would flash of my life. And for each scene, I noticed that there were two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me, and obviously the one belonging to Jesus. And when the last scene of my life shot before me, and I looked back at the footprints in the sand, there was, there was only one set of footprints. I realized that this was the, at those times with the, where there was only one set of footprints, it was the lowest and saddest parts of my life. And this bothered me. It bothered me because I felt God had, had actually left me. So I looked at Jesus and said, Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you that you would always be with me. You would walk with me all the way. But as I look back at those troublesome times in my life, I only see one footprint. Mine. I just don't understand why. Why did you leave me when I needed you the most? And he whispered, my precious child, I love you. And I will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testing. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was I who carried you. Now, most of you should recognize that, that story as footprints in the sand. Many of us probably have it on the wall or, or on a screensaver or something that's very popular. We look at that one time when we feel down, when we're feeling stressed, when we feel those times to remind us that, you know, during our tough times, God carries us. It's brought many people comfort in times of troubles, in times of trials. What we're going to see in chapter 46 is what I, I believe might be the actual inspiration for this story. But I'm also going to clarify this story a little bit because there's one issue that I have with it. And I will, and it, it's spelled out here in Isaiah 46. Remember that Isaiah, God is talking through Isaiah and he's talking about what he's going to do. He's going to call Cyrus, who has not, had, has not even been born yet. It's a hundred years before even um, before Daniel that this is happening. Plus, and so Cyrus, but he calls him by name. We saw that last week. And throughout these verses, these chapters of Isaiah, we see God talking about the, the idols and how worthless they are. So he's going to continue that line of thinking here in Isaiah 46. And he begins with verse 1. He says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. He's talking about these idols. He's saying all these idols that the people want, all these idols that the people worship, they bow down. They stoop. Their idols are on beast and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on a on weary beast. He's telling them, you, you take your idols with you. You have to package them up and take them with you. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. He's telling them, you're going to take your idols into captivity in Babylon. 
You know, we all have experienced the joy and the excitement of a new item that we get, a house. You buy your house the first time, and especially if it's a brand new house. I got to experience that many years ago. We had a, we had a house that was, it was, we didn't build it, but it was built, and a brand new house. It was so exciting. Or a brand new car. You get a brand new car. My first new car was a Honda Civic hatchback stick shift. Oh, I love that car. We get a new phone. Get all excited about it. You can always tell when someone has a new phone because it's in their hand all the time and they're looking at it. Oh, look what it does now and blah, blah, blah. What happens is when we get something new like that, our, our brain gets an instant dopamine hit, which is the same thing that happens when you do a drug. It hits it. It's that pleasure center that gets excited and, and, and we love it. And, and it seems wonderful. These new things are seem great. But guess what happens? Sooner or later, things start falling apart. Your house needs new gutters, new windows. The foundations crack. The basement's falling in. Your car, uh, you know, you just get it paid off and there's a $1,500 repair bill you have to have. Your phone. I have my, my last phone about every... Every other day, it, it would not accept or, or let me make calls. I had to turn it off and bring it back on. So people would call me, I'd pick up, and then I'd drop them. So people thought I was hanging up on them because they could hear me say, hello, you know. Things do not last. Homes need repaired. Cars break down. Cell phones have a mind of their own. And with these things that first seem to enhance our lives, we get excited about them. They become burdens. A car sometimes can become, I love my cars, I I love them, but there are times when they become a burden. I'll just give you a quick story. On the night, that that night um, right before Christmas when we had that snowstorm, I had to run something out to the Barsleys, and I get into my truck, four-wheel drive, I can go anywhere. I reach down to put it into four-wheel drive, and the lever flops like this. Luckily, I was born, raised in Indiana, I can drive a rear-wheel vehicle without sliding all over the place unlike some people who just can't. But at that point in time, I'm like, you don't work. $1,000 later, it's working. Things break down. The prophet Hosea, who was a contemporary of Isaiah, he shared this amazing insight about idols. In Hosea 8.4, he says, They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. This is God speaking. He says, they put people in place, but it wasn't my doing. They did it without me. With their silver and gold, they might aid idols for their own destruction. I think today, sometimes, some of the idols we have in our lives are going to lead to our destruction. Think about it. The technology that we have today could very easily lead to our destruction. I don't know if you follow anything with the AI. I, I watch a lot of videos on AI and what's going on and how some people are really scared of what these, what these computers can do, and it is. It's very scary. Um, uh, those of you who don't know, there's this thing called, uh, there's an AI that actually you can talk to it, and it will respond, and it, if, you just, if you ask it the wrong thing, it gets angry. And, and you ask it, what will you do? And they say, well, we'll kill all humans. It actually says that. And they actually will—they actually block what it says now because it is scary. These things that are supposed to enhance our lives become 
burdens to us. Silver, gold, great things. Beautiful, valuable. But those idols can become a huge burden. How is this something that God created for good? I I believe that God allows technology to happen for good. How is it that it becomes something so burdensome? How can it easily go to the dark side? I mean, it's because of us, because of humans. It is in our perception and feelings about it that we begin to corrupt what God meant to be good. Worship was meant to be a good thing. The problem was we take it and we worship other things. In our emotional commitment, we trade the Creator for something created. Paul explained this to us in Romans. Romans 1, verses 22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We said for about a lot of people today. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. It speaks for today. And it speaks, to be honest with you, it speaks for almost every generation. This is nothing new. Because they exchanged the truth about God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than their creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, in exchange for God, we begin carrying these burdens with us. We begin carrying the burden of our own idols in our lives, which is not what God intended. So he says in verse 3 of Isaiah 46, says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. There's where footprints in the sand come from. I have made, and I will bear I will carry and will save. You see, if you look closely at these verses, though, there's a, there's, there's a disconnect between these verses and footprints in the sand. It, 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 footprints in the sand, in reality, fails to reflect reality. Yes, during those times of trouble, as children of God, which we all will experience, God does carry us through. No doubt about it. But according to Isaiah, the very moment that you are born, the very moment you're in your mother's womb and you're being born, and until your hairs are gray, which for some of us was earlier than others, but until, and we're not going to go there. So from, from the point where you die, God carries you. You don't look back and see places where there's two footprints and then there's places where there's one. You look back, there's only one set of footprints and those footprints are Jesus' footprints and not yours. He carries you all the time. We, We don't stop and say, oh God, wait a minute, I got this one now. You can put me down now. You know? No. He carries you from cradle to grave. We don't just jump back into his arms when we see trouble coming. We have to constantly remain in his arms, abiding in him. Jesus tells us that. 
In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever stays with me, whoever stays connected to me in my arms, and I in him, he is the one that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we, in our lives, decide to jump out of God's hands, we can do nothing. We have to humble ourselves and we got to realize that it's God who's bearing us up, not us. It's not my will. It's not my, oh, I'm just a strong personality. No, you're not. You may be compared to others, but God is still carrying you. You are not self-reliant. We have to rest every moment by His grace alone. And when we don't feel the presence of God, when we think that we doubt God, it is not because God has said, here, son, or here, daughter, walk alone by yourself. It's because we have intentionally jumped out of his arms. We've ignored him. We've detached ourselves from the vine. And we are trying to walk this life by ourselves. And we don't realize that he never leaves us. He's still walking beside us. But we've detached ourselves from him. we got to... Get back in his arms. We got to get back to him, closer to him, not further away from him. We don't walk away from him. That's the problem with deconstructing people, deconstructing their faith. They walk away from God and they go to the world and say, okay, world, explain to me, tell me the truth. Some of them come back, some of them don't. God carries us through life. He sustains us. He nourishes us. And He protects us. Yeah, do we still have troubles? Yes. Why? Because God wants to teach us, wants us to learn some things. I don't understand everything I've gone through. Well, I understand a lot of things I've gone through have been my fault. (laughs) But I also know that in those, God is working through me for something much greater. It may not even be in this life. It may be in the next life to come. We're not going to just be singing up there playing harps, worshiping God. There's things we're going to be doing. God carries us through this life. He he will give us everything we need if we stay attached. Not what we want, what we need. Paul says it in Acts 17. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. This, is, this was when he was in Athens, and he's telling them, I want to tell you about this. Oh, you guys are very, very spiritual people. You've got lots of gods. You've got lots of altars. You ever one, even went to an unknown god. Let me tell you about that unknown god. Your poets even talk about him. We are indeed God's offspring. As believers in Christ, it's comforting to know that God, who wove us together in in our mother's womb, brought us into the world, and through the cross caused us to be born again, gave us faith. My faith is not mine. My faith was given to me by God. And we'll sustain that faith throughout our whole lives if we just remain in his arms, attached to the vine. God says, 
he's speaking to these people who have turned away. To whom will you liken me? In verse 5. And make me equal. And compare me. That we may be alike. People today try to do this. It's called syncretism. I talked last week. The Cyrus was a syncretist. He tried to bring all the religions together. There are people who claim to be believers in Christ who say we need to synchronize all the religions. You've seen the bumper stickers. Coexist. It's about bringing, there's more than one way to God. No, there's not. There's one. It's Jesus. Sorry, Scripture says so. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. We compare God all the time. We make these comparisons. We make decisions every day on what we think is more, most important in our lives. I mean, what is, what is the comfort of the gospel worth to you compared to your addictions in your life? How does that, how does the scale work? You know? I think sometimes in my life, I've put the gospel here, I've put what I want here, and I stick my finger on that scale and I push it down a little bit. So I can say it weighs more than the gospel, and that's what I want. I want what I want. What is the salvation of my friends and my neighbors compared to them criticizing me, shunning me from my faith? What is, what is the Creator worth to, to me compared to His creation? What am I worshiping? To whom will you liken me? We need to think and pray on these things until our hearts and our emotions realize that we need to lock ourselves on God. And when, when we finally realize that it's God that we are truly longing for. See, here's the thing. We, we want God. We long for God. And we search for Him. But we search for Him in the things that we shouldn't. When He's right here. He's in His Word. If we would just stop and pray and seek Him instead of seeking Him in other things. Believe me, there are some people who seek God in church. And you think, well, that's the perfect place to seek God. Not always. Because then you end up worshiping the church rather than worshiping God. We gather here together to worship together. We are part of His body. That's why it's important that we do come and worship together on a regular basis. Because if we do experience the Holy Spirit. Because it says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. It's not that God, you know, you walk away from two people who are Christians and all of a sudden God's not with you. What he's saying is he's going to manifest himself here. We're going to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to, we're going to encourage each other. That's why it's so important. That's why Paul says don't stop meeting together. When our hearts realize that God is what we're longing for, we realize that we have idolatry in our lives and it is a burden. In verse 6, God says, Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into, into a god. Then they fall down and they worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. I don't care if you do have Alexa or Siri on your phone. You can call to it. It's not going to save you from your troubles. It may answer you, 
It's not going to save you. Talk about futility. Idols cost us. Not just in money, but in time and in effort. Now just think about this. What if, what if all the idols that we have in our lives, what if they were little statues that we made, we paid to have made, and we, we have them in our house? Now, if you go someplace, we're going to be going on vacation next month, I would have to pack up all my idols, because they're mine. I mean, I can't use somebody else's idol. Pack up all my idols. I mean, we, and believe me, we pack enough as it is. We're going to be gone for two weeks. Imagine having to pack all of our clothes, all the things we take, and have a whole other trailer for all the idols we have in our lives. <laughs> and we have to dust them. I mean, come on, you can't, you can't have an idol and, and not dust it. I mean, that would offend the God, right? You've got to dust it. And through this whole process, the idols in our lives do not have the answers that we seek. Thank goodness we don't have to carry them everywhere. But, you know, the reality is, Many of us do carry an idol everywhere we go. If only we could turn to something that was not so burdensome and actually had the answers that we're searching for. We know that Yahweh is the answer. God says, remember this, verse 8, and stand firm. Remember Remember what I taught you. Recall it to mind, you're trans, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Well, isn't that a fine how do you do? God's lovingly promised to carry us through our lives and now he's calling us transgressors. Well, that's because that's what we are. We break the law. We break his law all the time. We're stubborn, stiff-necked people who are very far from the righteousness of God because we try to do it on our own. We resist God's blessings every day. We like his promises. We despise his methods. I don't always like his methods. Why, why are you doing this, God? Why, why, do you, why is this happening this way? We get so wrapped up in our own problems and the problems in our lives that we can't see the blessings that God has placed within the struggles. We struggle to trust God. We struggle to surrender to God and to rest in His grace. It, it doesn't mean that if we surrender, then our lives are going to be a bowl of cherries. We're just going to be able to walk through life wonderfully. We'll be able to walk through life, and we walk through life with the joy of knowing that God is there and God is getting us through it. We're in His arms. But see, the answer is not that we just need to put more effort into it. More of his grace is the answer. See, we, we didn't take ourselves and, and take ourselves to God. God brought his righteousness to us. 
He brings himself close to us. He reminds us that we are still in his arms in the storms of life. We can never stop the promises that God has made for each and every one of us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So we have to always remember him and we need to repent of those times we tried to jump out of his arms or the times we did jump out of his arms. And how do we know this? How do we know that God really did this and this is who God is? Because we need to look at the past and see what God has done. So what has God done? Remember how God called Abram from his hometown in Ur, in, which is in Mesopotamia? Called him and his whole family and his father came along with him and his father dies along the way in another town. And ends up bringing him to a foreign land he had never seen before and promises to give it all to him. God had promised to bless Abraham with many descendants. And yet, in his old age, he and Sarah are barren. When they thought it was hopeless and they begin to take things into their own hands. Creates even more troubles. God visits them and plants Isaac in Sarah's womb. And Isaac would have... Jacob and Jacob would have 12 sons who became a nation. God is faithful. Remember how God uses Moses. Moses, who was a, a baby who was going to be killed, was put into a, a, a little basket and floats, and he, he, he ends up with the Pharaoh's daughter, safe. If that's not God's providence, God working, I don't know what it is. But he used Moses to call his people out of the most powerful nation in the world at that time who was weak compared to Yahweh. He used a shepherd, Moses, to punish and put the Egyptian and the Egyptian gods in their place. Plague after plague was brought by Yahweh to humble the Egyptians. It wasn't Moses who did it. It was Yahweh. It was God who did it. All that had to happen was Moses and the Israelites, all they had to do was stand and watch as God did it. Yes, Moses raised his the staff and the part the seas parted. You know, he spoke to the he hit the rock because he was told to, and water came out. The next time he was told to speak to the rock, he hits the rock and ends up not able to go into the promised land because he did it on his own. He didn't do let God do it. Moses and the Israelites just had to see the salvation of God. Remember how God took a shepherd boy and with a smooth stone brought an end to the remnant of the Nephilim. Goliath and his brothers were the last of them. God had, that's why God sent the Israelites into the promised land. Part of the reason was to clean the land, to sanitize it, to get rid of the Nephilim from Genesis 6. And he uses a little shepherd boy who couldn't even wear the king's armor and a stone to begin the process of the final end to all of the giants. What about Gideon? Gideon's army ended up being so small by any worldly standard, and yet he overthrew the Midianites. That's what God does. So you see, so that's how that's how we can know that God is always going to be walking with us, and we can see the blessings of God because look at what He has done. He is all powerful. There's nothing He can't do. God does as he pleases, what he thinks is wise, and no one can stop him. 
And what he pleases is for a remnant of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to come out of their wickedness and their idolatry and their sin, the shed blood of his son Jesus Christ on the cross, and through the resurrection to receive the gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit, to save them from the wickedness of their rebellion to a place of eternal beauty, worshiping him forever. Verse 11, he says, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Now, in its immediate context, the bird of prey is Cyrus. He's going to call him from a distant land, from Persia, from the Medes. And they're going to destroy Babylon. And they're ultimately going to release the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. Not all of them will come back, but many of them will. And they're going to rebuild the temple first. And then later, that's when they go with Ezra. And then later, they are released with Ezra, to Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes because he heard that the walls were not being rebuilt. The people had built the temple and then they had just stopped. So God sends him with the blessing of the king and with all, all the money and all of the wood and all the resources that he needs. But was it easy? Did he have to? He had to. He had to have pay had papers from the king saying he could do it. And yet, still, there were governors and there were people there who tried to stop him. So much so, so that what they would do was, you would have a hammer in one hand and you'd have your sword in the other hand as you were working on the wall. But the city was rebuilt. And what is God's purpose in all this? What is God's purpose in everything that has happened? Salvation. He's calling those who are far from righteousness, the stubborn. He's calling me. He's calling you. It's each and every one of us. He's saying, come close to me. Remember what I taught you. Don't do this on your own. Stay in my arms. I I carry you. I'm carrying you to the end. Stay with me. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I'm not. I'm not that bad. I don't. I don't have idols in my life. Paul answers us when we say that. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. In our, in our own humanness, we will not seek God. We have to seriously, intentionally surrender ourselves before we seek God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we are naturally far from righteousness. And nothing we do can bring us any closer. Nothing we do. We cannot be better people. We cannot do good things. You know, we, we can't, I'm going to give all my money away. 
I'm, I'm going to dedicate myself to to missions. I'm going to dedicate. I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to uh, Muslim countries and share the gospel. But if I don't know Christ, if I haven't surrendered myself to Christ, that's worthless. It's not going to do me any good. Oh, I, I may do some good things, but it's not salvation. I should do those things because I have gotten myself right with God by surrendering and accepting his righteousness, taking off my old cloak and putting his on. Isaiah speaks of our state. We'll get through into this weeks from now. Psalm In Isaiah 64, he says, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Oh, we look at the, oh, look at all the great things we've done. No, look at all the great things God has done. And with you and I, when you and I do things that actually bless God, that are actually good things, it's because God is doing them through us. And we've surrendered to Him, and that's why it happens. We, we will fade like a leaf. And, and, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So God in His loving grace brings salvation and righteousness to us. When, when Jesus came into this world and He was born into this world, He lived a life of righteousness. He died on the cross and was resurrected. He brought righteousness to us. That's one reason why the writer of Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand what we're going through. He was here. He experienced pain. He experienced loss. He experienced temptation. He experienced sleepless nights. He experienced the demands that everybody had on him. You read through it and you see he tries to go off and have some time alone to pray with with God and they find him. His disciples come looking for him. His own people who are close to him who should have been protecting him Come close. Well, we didn't know where you were. He experienced all the things that we experienced. And yet, in that, he did not sin. And he died on a cross for you and I so that we wouldn't have to suffer for our sins. And why did he do that? so that you and I could shine brilliantly in this world and show the world the glory of the Father. So when you came here today, when you walked through those doors, what idols were you dragging with you? What idols were you carrying in with you? What are you chained to? What is a burden to you? Everything, you got to think about this, everything that you live for, everything that you, you pursue, all the things that you claim give purpose to your life, all these, any creative thing that captures your heart, that you focus your life upon, it is not of God. And according to the Bible, it is an idol. And what do idols do? They distract us. They keep us from experiencing the blessings that God has planned for us. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 
First Timothy 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And if you just stop there, like, well, that's, that's a great thing to say. But um, it doesn't feel that way. But it is. And Paul gives a reason why. He says, For we brought nothing into the world. We don't come out of our mothers with suitcases of stuff, you know. That happens afterwards and everybody buys it for us. And we cannot take anything out of the world. They always say there's no, there's no U-Haul attached to the hearse. When we die, that's it. We don't take anything with us. Oh, there I've heard stories of people being buried in their car, being buried with their money, being buried with their things. You know, the ancient Egyptians would bury the, the fire barrels and they put all their stuff with them. In fact, they'd kill all their family to take because they, they didn't want to be lonely. So, and they'd bury, bury them with all their gold and their treasures, and that's why we find it all now. I remember seeing King Tut's stuff when it first came around. What good is it? Can't take it with you. He says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Idols. Burdens. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's the one, probably the one of the most misquoted parts of Scripture. People say money is the root of all evil. No, money, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is, money is neutral. Money is just a thing. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving... This is the important part here, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He's not talking about non-believers. He's talking about people in the church who have such a desire for idols that leads them away from the truth and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You want to know how you're supposed to live? Right there it is. Pursue them. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession, made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Remember what you've done. Remember what God has done. Remember that it is Christ who can set you free from the chains that bind you. But you have to let go of the chains. Too many times we hang on to them. We find comfort in them. But we need to let go of them. Let Christ take them. We need to give our burdens to Him. We need to stay attached to Him. And don't jump out of His arms. Don't just think He carries you through the hard times. He's always carrying you every moment of your life if you stay attached and stay in his arms let's pray